I decided not to do what we've been doing whenever I've had the opportunity to preach, which is Matthew chapter 24. I decided to go a different route, and I'm going to pull a Spurgeon on you. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is we're only looking at one verse today. And uh, we oftentimes, you know, we go to church, we hear good sermons, and I'm not faulting these men that preach good sermons or anything like that, but we don't hear a lot about suffering or about the things that did, like Job dealt with. But what we're going to do is we're going to look at one, a couple, a few aspects, so to speak, on the other side of what he went through. We all know the story of Job. Uh, Satan came to God desiring to uh, knock Job into the dirt. Um, we also learned that uh, basically Satan had to have permission, had to have permission from God to knock Job in the dirt, so to speak. Before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Father, as we have uh, stated amongst ourselves and talking amongst ourselves, we are just a mere instrument. You, Your word is truth. Your word is power. Your word has the ability to change, convict, and to restore. And Lord, use me this morning. May you take your word and apply it to our hearts as you see fit. And Lord, let us be encouraged as we read through your word. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A scripture text, um, Job chapter 1, verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand forever. Amen. This statement, uh, the Lord takes away, or the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, is a common statement that we've heard from different people, even amongst Christians themselves. The world uses that uh, and even Christians alike use that statement during a time of loss when they've lost a loved one. And it's a fitting statement. Uh, it brings us comfort. Uh, it brings us peace. And it eases our conscience as we, as we go through the grieving process. But some Christians don't fully understand or even see the theological aspect that is attached to this verse. It's rich with theological importance. And hopefully we'll flesh some of that out this morning as we go through it. Our verse here, it demonstrates, it illustrates, it demonstrates and illustrates our creatureliness, our createdness, our finiteness, or yes, our finiteness. It puts us exactly where we need to be. So to speak. So my goal this morning is to demonstrate one, our need and dependence upon God. Two, the reality of material wealth or goods, and finally, 
the blessing of God being in complete control over all things. So let's pick apart this verse. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Job tells his friends and his readers, naked I came from my mother's womb. Now, Job is not driving at or talking about an act, an act between a man and wife in producing a life. And that's not what he's driving at. He is simply saying, I came from my mother's womb with nothing on my back, with nothing in my hand. I came into this world with nothing at all. And with nothing, there's a dependence, right? What do babies do when they're born? The first thing they do, they're crying, right? They're shaking, they're shivering. They need warmth. Now, you've heard people say, well, you know, a baby instinctively knows where to go to get its food. No, it doesn't. I'll be, I'll, I can tell you straight out, it does not know where its food comes from. The only baby that, the only thing that baby knows is that the food and nourishment that it has received has come through an umbilical cord. Baby doesn't know that the woman's breast is where the food lies. Has to be taught, right? There's a dependence there that that baby needs. And if that baby doesn't get those, those needs met, he's going to die. But even more importantly, it points back to creation, doesn't it? Adam was created from the dust of the ground. He came into this world with nothing at all, right? But what did God do? Before he came into the world with nothing on his back or nothing in his hand, so to speak, God created the world, right? He created the animals. Mm -hmm. He created the atmosphere, right? The plants. All this was for who? It was for man, which clearly debunks the whole idea that is being purported in the world today that man is created for the world. No, no. the world is created for man. The world was created by God to sustain us, right? And this is what Job is alluding to. He says, you know, I was created by, yes, a mere act, but I came into the world with nothing. God wove into creation man's need. He is always in need, right? Sustenance to survive, shelter. And then that's the physicality. Let's look at the spiritual side of it. He needs God, whether he realizes it or not. He needs God. And in the garden, God provided all that, right? He even provided a helpmate because God knew he would need that as well too and for procreation. So Job is, accurate, is acutely aware of his need for God. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Now, let us be reminded, this comes on the heels of him losing everything. He lost it all. And even when he lost it all, he was laden with boils, you know, sick, right? Itching to death, using potsherd to scrape the boils, right? Even through it all, his friends were of no comfort. When he needed somebody to talk to, friends basically were telling him, it's your fault that this has happened to you, so to speak. They, they just rail him through 
continuously. And then his wife, his wife is no help. You know, I, I, I like to think that she does what she does to him. She chides him. I think she, I like to believe she does that because she's upset over the loss. But we don't know. I mean, the scripture is silent on that. But none, nonetheless, he's hurting. He is suffering. But like Joe, too, you know, we are acquainted with loss as well, too. Right. We live in a fallen world. We're cursed. Yes, and we do suffer. We do suffer loss. Um, you know, last year, Lindsay lost her father. And then there's others who have lost loved ones as well, too. It comes, it hurts. And it's it's a dark time, right? And so here, Job, in the midst of his dark time, he can say, naked I came from my mother's womb. The psalmist in Psalm 121, verse 1 says, where shall my help come from? The psalmist says this in a time of need, right? Where shall my help come from? He's looking to God. He is saying, my help will come from God. Job is alluding to the fact that naked I came from my mother's womb. I had nothing on my back. But God has taken care of me. God has provided. God will continue to provide. There is hope in part of this verse that we're looking at. There's hope there. Solomon, in all his wisdom, highlights the very fact that we come into this world with nothing, which demonstrates our complete and utter dependence upon God. We need God, whether we realize it or not. We need Him. From our birth to death, we are dependent upon God. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, the very days of our life are written in his book and are ordained for us when there were no days to be counted for us. From the very beginning to the end, beloved, where God has us. God is in complete control. We are dependent upon him for everything. And in death, Psalm 116, verse 15 says, Oh, how precious is the death of his saints or his godly ones. How many times have we seen the unregenerate shake their fist at God or we heard their cries? I don't need God. That fictitious being that you call God from the antiquated pages of a book. I don't need him. How many times have we seen it on the news or even in reels when we look at social media? The world is completely off its rails, angered, shaking their fist at God, telling him that they don't need him. We hear statements such as God is love, but that is a false statement from the world. Why is it a false statement? Yes, God is love. The scriptures tell us that God is love, but God is not love according to the way you see it. That's not God. God is not love because you want to marry somebody of the same sex or have relations with somebody of the same sex, that is not love. That is not God. It is foolishness. God is love. He is also justice. He is also holy. We can't sit there and just simply say that God is love and excuse everything else that is God. 
Because without the love, there's no justice. And without justice, there's no mercy. The fool has said in his heart, Psalm 14, 1, there is no God. But I can tell you this, Hebrews 9, 27 states to us, it is appointed unto man one time to live. And then thereafter that is the judgment. That day is coming. But more importantly, too, rebellion is not only with the unregenerate, it is with us as well, right? I have to ask myself, are there sins in my life that are keeping me from being totally obedient to God? Are there sins in my life that prevents me from knowing God's love for my for me? Is there sin in my life that prevents me from running to him? Is there sin in my life that I'm clinging to, not willing to let go? I like what Mark preached uh, in, in the book of James. Uh, he said that, uh, that we have weeds in our life that we have to we have to dig them out. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever tried to dig a dandelion out of the ground. <laughs> That's a pretty stout root on that dandelion, and that thing goes deep. So some of the sin in our life, the weeds in our life, we have to really dig them out and get rid of them. But what did Moses do? We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. He turned away from the pleasures of the world or Egypt, refusing to be called Pharaoh's son and chose to suffer affliction with God's people. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward, Jesus Christ. He was looking to him, wasn't he? Let's not forget our Lord. But he wants to. He wants us to look to him. He wants to deal with the sin that's in your heart, my heart as well. I'm pointing the finger. I've got three pointed back at me. I'm, I'm no different. I have sin in my life as well too that needs to be dealt with. We have to deal with it. We can't survive this world without taking it to the Lord, right? It, it gets in the way. It cuts out our time with the Lord, our worship, doesn't it? The next thing you know, you can tell no difference between us and the world. We're so far gone, right? If we don't deal with it, if we don't uproot those weeds out of our garden. Naked, I came from my mother's womb. Let us not forget that we are a dust. We are created. We are fallen. But does it mean there's no hope? Does it mean that there's no salvation? It just simply means that we live in a fallen, cursed world. He is there for us to run to. And right now, at this point in time, I, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of the hymn that Isaac Watts wrote, the course at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light mm -hmm. and the burden of my heart rolled away. Don't delay it. If there's issues that you need to deal with, deal with it. Don't put it off. And then Job says, continuing on in, into this verse, and naked I shall return there. Now, I have to admit, 
the first glance at this verse, I was like, Job, are you trying to say you want to go back to your mother's womb? Like Nicodemus in the garden with Jesus? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, naked I shall return there, meaning the dust of the ground. I shall become the dust of the ground. When I die, that's where I'm headed. And again, it points back to the garden, right? If we look at Genesis 2, Genesis chapter 2, I'll get there sometime today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. He's saying, yes, I was formed by a by an act ordained by God between husband and wife. But in reality, that's all we are is dust. If you were to burn a human body and you analyze those ashes, you will see that those ashes are full of minerals. Magnesium, calcium, uh, iron, copper, all the minerals that are found on this earth. That's what we're made from. We're made from the dust of the ground. And when you burn the body, those elements were there. Job understood this. He understood it perfectly. He knew that when he dies, that he's going to return back the way he came. Solomon notes uh, in Ecclesiastes 5.15 that nothing, man would not be able to carry anything back with him to the grave, even the fruit of his labors. Ecclesiastes 5.15 be part of the latter part of that verse. Job understood very well his finiteness and God's infiniteness. He was only able to see this because of his closeness to God. Job was close to God. I want us to understand too, verse 21 is not a woe is to me statement. It's not Okay, I'm just going to kick my can going down the street. I hang my head down. No. This is a form of worship here. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. He understands the relationship. He understands that things come into our life. We come into this world, right? And things leave our life, and we leave this world, right? It's a constant ebbing, flowing to and fro in our life. People come into our lives. People leave our lives, right? Friends come and go. Jobs come and go. Wealth comes and go. How many times have you looked at your 401? One day, it's looking really good, right? All of a sudden, there's a shift in the stock, stock market. And then your 401k takes a hit, right? It, nothing is lasting. Nothing is lasting. And Job here is making us aware of this, bringing this understanding to our minds. Okay? Job, don't misunderstand me. Job is going through a hard time right now. He lost everything. 
everything, his family, his wealth. He is of nothing. A man of status who was a godly man at that and still is a godly man, lost it all. But yet he can make such a statement such as this is astounding to me. Absolutely astounding. Psalm 119 verses or verse 67 came to me one night. I was on my way home from work from the hospital. And I was listening to this lady. Uh, I think she was into biblical counseling. But then she started talking about affliction. And she led us or led you know, her audience to Psalm 119, verse 67. Psalm 119, verse 67. It's, it's a beautiful uh, verse here. I can get there. All right. Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So what does this mean? Affliction is not something that just happens by happenstance or we fall into it, so to speak. Affliction comes to us by way of God. If we look at the story of Job, we go back just a little bit and we see how Satan, what does Satan have to do? He had to go to God, right? Ask permission to afflict Job. He didn't like Job. Satan's eyes, Job was a punk. This man that you put a hedge around, I guarantee you, you take that hedge down, he'll curse you to your face. Couldn't stand it. He did not want to see Job in the place where he was at. But he had to ask permission, right? Had to get permission from the Almighty. You can do everything to him. You can even afflict his body, but you can't take his life. Affliction is hard. It's intended to be hard. Affliction is not an easy thing to go through. Affliction comes to us because there, there's a reason behind it, a testing of our faith. Exactly what Job went through. His faith was tested. There's a reason it comes to us, and it's to drive us back to God. It's to drive us into the hands of God. It's not to drive us away. I can tell you how many times I have failed miserably when affliction has come upon me. My tendency is to always to run, run. I, I just, I got to get away from it. I want to escape it. But there's no escaping it, is it? It's still there. No matter where I go, no matter where I run, no matter what I want to think, it's still there. It doesn't go away. It has to be dealt with, right? I run to the point to where I can't run no more. And then I turn around and, and God is still there. He's still waiting on me to bring it to him. And that's what we need to do. And we need to be reminded when we are going through affliction, it's not to drive us away from God. It's to bring us closer to him. It's for our sanctification. It's to knock the rough edges off of our faith. It is to draw us back to him. And as he draws us back to him, we feel that soothing, the soothing grace that comes with that, doesn't it? We want to think of God as 
he's got this big cane pole. And when I come back, he's going to bend me over the fence and he's going to lash my back. I had this image of God in my, when I became a Christian for years, I had this image of God being on the other side of a 40 acre field. I could yell out to him, but he would not hear me or you know, my, my prayers wouldn't reach above the ceiling. I went like that for years. And finally, somebody told me and says, you know, you're, you're projecting your dad onto God. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? <laughs> you're absolutely right. He says, your, your heavenly father hears your prayers. He's answered your prayers. You just don't believe. Father, forgive me. Forgive me. He is there not to cane us. Look, you know, he knows that we're fallen. He knows that we're sinful beings. Sin has already been dealt with, right? At the cross, there's no sin that I could commit today. No sin that I've committed yesterday. No sin that I will commit tomorrow that will not be covered by the blood of Christ. Forgiveness is there. He took that penalty for us, right? That wrath that was due for me and you was already dealt with. So now I don't need to run from God. I need to run to God. Here, this verse teaches us that. Here, Job, I picture Job sitting around a campfire and behind him, his house is destroyed. And you look across the, the hills, you see his herds are decimated. And I see a funeral procession burying his children. And he's sitting there weeping, crying and grieving. But through it all, he's saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Right? And then we look at the, the next part of this verse. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. We noted that Job has a closeness with God. And it comes on the heels of, of great loss. But notice we, we are told in the first part of the chapter here, verses 1 and 2, that this man, Job, owned a lot. He had a lot uh, of herds. Uh, sheep, had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So he didn't have a little family, did he? He had a huge family, big family. Satan wanted to render Job silent. He wanted to silence this man, Job. He wanted to silence the truth, right? So he goes to God and asking him if he can can destroy him, and after destroying him, he will curse you and do away with you, be gone with you. Job lost everything, children and possessions. But yet, Job stated, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He knew exactly where everything came from. Everything good that came to Job came from God. We're also told that this man was an upright, God-fearing man. Right? There was no blame or uh, in, uh, un, 
uh, sinfulness in this man, or not sinfulness, that's not what I meant to say, but we know this man was an upright man in, in fear of God, right? Walking in the fear of God. When we read this verse, does it bring comfort to you to hear this or to read it? Does it bring comfort to you? Maybe you have suffered loss and you pondered over this verse. It does me. I have, I have seen people at the worst. I've seen people die. I've seen loss on a grand scale. And I have read that verse. It has comforted me. It has comforted me many times. Now I'm not, I don't want to miss, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not making Job out to be some kind of superhero here who who can endure the fiery darts and that they just bounce off of him like he's nothing but metal. No. He has taken the fiery darts. Job is in the dirt. He is in the dirt. He is grieving. He is sad. He's lost everything, as we've noted many times here. But yet, rather than running away from God, he runs to God and he makes this bold statement. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. There's a comfort in that, isn't it? Because if we think about it, if we do some some deep thinking about that, that the Lord has taken away, he's going to give again, isn't he? He will give again. We don't know the grand scope of everything the judge said or even his actions. What we have in front of us is what God wants us to know. Maybe he did go through a period of time where he did shake his fist at God and said, why did you let this happen? Until he got to the point where he could say what he did. We don't know. We don't know. But we do know that he makes this bold statement of worship here, right? Even through an immense amount of affliction. When affliction comes, it makes us vulnerable, doesn't it? And in our vulnerability in the wasteland, of loss and, and destruction that is in our mind. The evil one comes, doesn't he? When we're the most vulnerable, he comes and he whispers in our ear, he does not care for you. If he loved you, this would never have happened. Where's your so-called God now? How many times have we heard little whispers like that? Maybe not exactly that way but in different ways. If the Lord gives and takes away, he will give again, right? The void that is created can and will be filled with joy again. The lies will fall away. And the truth of God's word stands forever, right? That is our anchor. Without God's word, we would be lost. We'd be tossed to and fro upon the sea of whatever it's, right? Yes, loss Having a loss is hard. It's very hard. For it is the darkest period point in a person's life. I forget. There's two or three. There's three or four things um, that are really dark, dark periods for people. Very hard. Death, loss of a loved one, divorce, and I forget the third one. Job loss. Job loss are the three hardest things in a person's life. 
right now, Job has lost two of those out of three, right? In the darkest of night, when the sunlight of God's goodness and grace are nowhere to be seen, and yet you cannot find your way out or back to God, be assured and be encouraged that he is there. We know that the darkness is as day to God. He sees even through the dark. He is there. Though the storm rages and the ship the ship heaves to and fro and reels back and forth, he is there. He is there. Even though you cannot see through the stormy gales, he is there guiding us through, bringing us back to him. And though Job was beaten down, he was still standing, right? Praise God. And though Job had been trodden under the foot of Satan, he still remained. And though Job went into the cauldron of Satan's furnace, he came forth refined into that pure gold that God was looking for or wanting him to be. And this should bring hope to you. It brings hope to me. Affliction is not forever. It comes into our life because God ordained it to come into our life. Okay? Material possessions were not a matter for Job to consider. He didn't care about that. It was nothing to be concerned over because he knew the Lord took, took it away he will give it back again, right? Jesus, in speaking to the young rich ruler in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30, makes it clear in his dealing with the young rich ruler, he tells a young man who very well could be someone of great importance or prominence. We don't know, but we know he's a ruler and rich. He is. He comes to, to Jesus, right? He wants to be part of the kingdom, so he thinks, what must I do? He says, he tells the young man, he says, you know, you follow the, the law, you know the law, but now there's one thing you must do. Go and sell everything you've got. What? <laughs> man, you've lost your mind. I ain't, I'm not doing that. No way. No way. I'm not doing that. But what did Christ say in verses 24 through 25? He said, it is hard for the wealthy to enter into the kingdom of God, and it is easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a, eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's not a sin to be wealthy. That's not what Jesus is saying there. What are you using your wealth for? Mm-hmm. So when we look at this young man, what was his sin? If his wealth was not his sin, what was, what was his sin? It was his unwillingness to let go of it, Right? He still allowed it to control him. And Jesus hit him, hit it right where it needed to be hit. Couldn't let go. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 17, those who are rich are not to be conceited, but to fix their hope on the Lord. Those of us who are wealthy, we need to help our brothers who are not wealthy, who are in need, right? Our wealth was not intended to remain with us, to be stored up and collect dust and rust and everything else, right? If we've got the means, then we should help, right? This is what Paul's driving at. And this is the whole picture of what material wealth 
should be. Material goods come and go. We we have them today, we lose them tomorrow, or they they pass on to somebody else. But if we've got the means and we know a brother's in need, going back to James, we should help them, right? We should pull them out of their need or out of their mire, whatever you want to call it. We should be the ones to help them out with this. And then we look at the next part of this verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say today, blessed be the name of the Lord? That right there should be should bring joy also to your heart and to your mind. This statement here points to the sovereignty of God. It also demonstrates his providential hand upon all things. As we noted in Sunday school uh, a couple weeks ago, our confession in chapter 5 illustrates very well how our God has providence over all things. From the greatest to the smallest, living and unliving, or the inanimate, all things doing according to what God has ordained them to do. There is nothing that escapes his providential control. Blessed be the name of the Lord brings a comfort to our hearts. One, because God is in control. And two, he reigns over his people. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Matthew 10 29 tells us also that the eye of the Lord is upon the sparrow. And then Luke 21, 18 states, not one hair will fall to the ground from your head to the ground that his eye is not on that. He knows and sees and his hand is upon everything in our lives, in this world. Job loved the Lord. And this statement reflects this love and understanding he had for God. He made this statement in the time of his affliction, the worst time ever. He made this statement. Affliction comes to all of us. Where no one is above the other when, in regard to affliction. Paul tells us, because we're Christians, we've been called to suffer. Philippians 1.29. We've been called to suffer. It is in the suffering that God associates us with his son, right? His son suffered. We're going to suffer. He died. We're going to die, right? They hated him. They hate us. We must endure, brothers, sisters. Continue the bread. Continue the race. Philippians 1.6. We must endure to the end. Don't be weary. Do not give up. Continue on. And we look at the church today. Do not be troubled or let your mind be troubled over how many people are leaving the church. First Kings 18 reminded me, and it should remind you as well too, that there is always going to be a remnant, mm-hmm. right? God always has a remnant and he will continue to have that remnant. Job states, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return or naked shall I return there. And the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let us not lose sight. Do not let the world trouble you. Do not let what's going on in the church trouble you. God has it all. He has it all from the beginning to the end. His hand is on it. His hand is in it. And that should bring a great deal of comfort to our lives.
we often look at ourselves and say, I don't have this, or I don't have that. Overlooking what we do have. God has blessed us on multiple levels. As our brother pointed out this morning in the Sunday school lesson, we're living in a time when we unbelievably the amount of access we have to work to the word of God. Well, I mean, just a click of a button on a computer, we can get to the word of God, right? We can go to stores, buy copies of the word of God, different versions of the copy uh, of the word of God. We are blessed immeasurably. And not only that, but even what we have in our lives, we're blessed. We're blessed for life. You have things dealing with life, to be able to enjoy life, to be able to maintain life. We are blessed beyond measure, beyond more than we deserve. We have seen through our exposition here of this verse uh, that God wants us, or want, yes, wants us to be dependent upon Him for all things. Material possessions and wealth come and go. And we are not to put our faith or our trust in those things. They're, they're, they're not going to save us. They're, they're not going to uh, bring into our life what we need from God. And finally, be reminded that God is sovereign. He's over all things. Even over our jobs, even over our life, and no matter what it is, God is sovereign over all things. If God takes away, he will give. What came of Job's plight? Let's turn to Psalm 42. And I, this is going to be the last time we turn here. Let's turn to Psalm, I mean, uh, excuse me, Job 42. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42, starting at verse 10. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. And we'll stop there. He blessed him twofold, restored unto him twofold what he had before. If it's dark or if you have dark times, I promise the sun of God's grace and goodness will shine. If you are going through a storm, I promise the clouds will break and the sun will shine. Though you go through it, it feels as if it's an eternity. God is there. He has always been there, and he will still be there through it all. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you. We live in a world or in, and we live our lives and we are in a constant state or living in a constant state of change. But you have ordained change into your creation and within that change comes affliction. Give us the grace and the strength, Lord, as we are afflicted to run to you and to be with you. That way we can know that you are who you say you are. Lord, we lift up Danny to you today. We pray for your hand to be upon Danny. We pray for healing. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'll restore our brother, get him back up on his feet. And uh, Lord, we look forward to seeing him come back in full health. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.